Well, 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 how we doing, Red Rocks Church? We doing good? Good, good, good. Hey, I'm glad to be here today. Hopefully you guys had an incredible new year. If you don't know me, my name is Ronnie. I'm the campus pastor here at our Littleton campus. Uh, thank you for, for tuning in with us the first weekend of 2016. It's exciting. It's exciting, but before we get started, um, can you do me a favor? Can you help me welcome everybody that's watching um, with us at all of our Red Rocks Church locations, everybody from our family at God Behind Bars, and everybody that's going to be tuning in online. Can we welcome them? It's exciting. We welcome you. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Well, today we are going to be talking about uh, the idea of change, and not just change, but an idea that I like to call lasting change, the change that really uh, rocks us at our core, really changes the very fabric of who we are. And change uh, for many of us that call ourselves Christians is really a foundational topic. It's really foundational to our faith. When we sign up to say, yes, Jesus, I want to follow you, we're really committing to a life of continual and progressive change, to be more like Christ. Um, and just to kind of further instate this, if you, you've probably met somebody from your past that you haven't seen in a long time, and if you've been following Christ for a while, they may say some things like, dude, you have changed. You have changed. Or you talk to somebody that has had a genuine encounter with Christ, and they might say something along the lines of, once I met Christ, everything changed. Once I met Christ, everything changed. Change is something that we sign up for. It's who we are. It's what we're committed to. Change is part of us. And we're going to start our journey today in John in the, ch in the fifth chapter. Um, and just to set some context for us, uh, this chapter, we find Jesus, and he's walking through Jerusalem, and he's passing by um, something that the Jews were going to call the Sheep Gate. This is just a landmark that everybody would have been um, uh, uh, in common with. And essentially what this Sheep Gate was is a gate on the back side of the temple, and this, this uh, gate allowed people to traffic in sheep to the backside of the temple to be sacrificed. This was a very common landmark of this time. And next to the Sheep Gate was a place called the Pool of Bethesda. And it's interesting because we find it here in this fifth chapter of John. Um, but up until the 19th century, we had no historical, no archaeological backing that this place really existed. But in the 19th century, archaeologists stumbled upon what we call this Pool of Bethesda. And this was um, really significant for a couple different reasons, but the, the first reason is um, this place was a gathering place for people that were blind and lame and paralyzed, people that were suffering, what the Bible calls invalids, people that during this time were actually kind of outcast. They were separate, they were set aside, they weren't really allowed to take part in common society because of these infirmities that they dealt with. So this pool uh, was really a place that these people came, it's kind of the, the excommunicated came here to find community. This was a place where they found a home. This is a place where they were able to be with people struggling with the same exact things. But really the, the primary reason why people came to this place, this pool of Bethesda, was because this was esteemed as a healing ground. This was a miraculous healing pool. And the rumor was that an angel from the Lord would come and he would disrupt the water or stir the water, some translations say, and the first person that, that entered the water with one of these infirmities would be healed. And so these people not only came for a sense of community, but really they came to find healing, to find this change that they've been looking for for a long time. And what we're going to soon find out is this also was a place where disgrace 
collided with this ultimate grace. And in John 5, uh, in the first verse, um, if you don't have a Bible, it's going to be up on the screens for you. But go ahead and read along with me. And it says, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there uh, is in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool. In Aramaic, it's called Bethesda, which has five roof colonnades, which were essentially just covered porches. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man uh, was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? And the sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed. And walk. And at once the man was healed. He took up his bed and he walked. Isn't Jesus amazing? He's amazing. Hey, before we dive into this, would you just join me? I just want to start by a time, having a time of prayer. Lord, we just come before you. God, we are grateful for what you are doing in this place. And God, I just pray over these next few moments as we approach your word as a community of believers, Lord, would you expose to us the areas of our heart that we need to so desperately change. And God, I also just want to thank you, Lord. I I know that you're mindful of our greatest flaws, of our greatest character issues, of our greatest sin patterns and struggles. Lord, you see all of that, yet you love us as children. You don't see us as projects. Jesus, I just pray in these next few moments, God, that you would continue to love us and coach us through these areas of our life that we know that we need to so desperately change. And God, we give you all the glory, all the honor and praise in advance. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. Well, hey, I don't know about you, but I absolutely love change. I love change. I'm an addict of change. Uh, I get bored really easily. And to be quite frank, um, it is a big issue. My wife might call me somebody that's a bit emotionally unstable. I love change. I get bored extremely easily. Uh, For instance, I'll be one of those guys that you could see on a Monday in a coffee shop, and by the time you see me Wednesday, I've completely changed my look and appearance. I might have had a beard, and I no longer have a beard. Uh, I've done skinny jeans, and I've done baggy jeans. I've done cowboy boots. I've done tennis shoes. I've done shaved face. I've done bearded face. I've done long hair, short hair. You name it, I've tried it. I've done dyed tips. Heck, the week of Christmas... I got a perm. I got a perm. I'm sick. This is, a, this is a face of a crazy man. I love change. But if we're honest, I know that there's some people in here that you love change as well. Any, any people out here that absolutely love change, you get bored easily, you like to change things up, you like to shift things around. If you're like me, you're constantly changing, and this can affect you in a lot of different ways, not just your physical appearance, but maybe it's your, in your workplace, it's with your family members, it's in your relationships, and maybe it even affects you in your relationship with God. But if I'm really honest, my infatuation with this change and renewing and modifying There's still a whole long list of items that are part of my life that I can't seem to quite change. And and I've tried for a really long time, and I've tried a lot of different things to motivate me, and I still no change. I constantly go year after year with no progress, and I look towards another year, but... I'm unchanged. I'm dying to change. And you see, I grew up in a family with eight kids, two fish, and a dog. Most of my life was pretty chaotic, and our house was always one step away from becoming an absolute 
pig pen. And so my mom spent most of her days cleaning, rearranging, organizing, throwing things away, getting rooms in order, only to find out that in the room next to her, we had been wreaking complete havoc all over the room. There was stuff everywhere. Everything that she just did has now been undone. Any moms know what I'm talking about? Any moms? Come on. We, we knew how to destroy the place. And so after a while, my parents got real smart. And so they implemented a rule at the Johnson house. And for us, this became the golden rule. And the golden rule was this. You can't leave the house until your room is clean. Many of you guys have implemented this rule. And this rule for the Johnson house sent shockwaves of terror through our entire household. You would have thought that my mom had just said, kids, you can't ever leave the house ever again because we we knew absolutely 100% fact that our rooms were a disaster this was going to be an impossible task and we just weren't going to be leaving our house and so for the next 10 years of my life I perfected something that I like to call artificial cleaning and so I would go into my room after getting the uh, strict discipline from my parents, get to your room, go clean your room. Once your room is clean, then you can go to your friend's house. So I'd go to my room, I would take all of my belongings, and I would cr- cram everything into every nook and cranny possible inside my room. I would take shirts and flatten them out, and pants and flatten them out, and I'd lay them under my mattress, and I'd shove things under my dresser, and I'd put things in holes in the drywall. I have issues. There was one time that my mom, uh, she did my laundry for me. She's incredible. And she brought me this basket of clean, folded, sorted laundry. And so she just said, hey, I did your laundry for you. Can you just take this upstairs and go put it away where it belongs? And so somewhere something went astray in my mind between the time that I received the basket and the time that I got upstairs. So I took the basket of clothes that my mom had given me. And by the time I got upstairs, in my mind, the most logical thing to do was to take this entire basket of clothes and set it in the attic. I'm telling you, I have issues. I have issues. And so uh, throughout my life, I just progressed and I never really changed. Time and time again, my dad would sit me down and say, son, really, this is not difficult. Here's what you have to do. You clean your room. Once it's clean, you keep it clean. Are we clear? And so I would leave with this new profound sense of, of muster and enthusiasm and this new focus, reassured that from here on out I was going to change. You're right, Dad. This is a very simple task. So I would walk up to my room, shedding a few tears, saying, I got this. This is easy. I'm the man. I can clean. I can do this. And I look at my room and I say, dirty room. You've met your match. You have met your match. And internally, I had this new sense of resolve, this new resilience. I was going to change. From this day forth, I was going to change. And one day I won't be struggling with this. But you know what? Interestingly enough, I, I got into high school. Same struggle. Nothing changed. And then I got into college. And same struggle and nothing changed. And then I got married. Fooled her. Nothing changed. Nothing changed. The this, this same old issues, same old issues. Now I progressed. I graduated to different levels of uncleanliness. Now I don't just take them and shove them under my dresser. At the end of the day, I take off my shirt and I fold it and I put it on the edge of my bed. And I only do that until I run out of shirts. It's not like it's not a big deal. But I, I literally have not progressed past this issue. I, I haven't changed. I haven't changed. I've just graduated to better levels of uncleanliness and poor character. 
And if, if I'm perfectly honest, the things in my life that I've been struggling with since adolescence, there's still a lot of things that I thought I was going to be done struggling with, and they're still with me now, still with me today. And if, if many of us are, are, are honest, this is just a funny example, but there's things inside of our life that we've been dealing with for a really long time, a really long time. I'm going to change. I'm going to change I just haven't. And when we find this man here at the pool of Bethesda, this is exactly the situation that we find him in. He has been here for 38 years, lying on a mat beside this pool, waiting for his chance at change, waiting for his chance at healing. This guy is desperate, unable to change, unable to be healed. He can't move out of his situation. He's dying to change, unable to change. Or was he? You see, we, we now in 2016 get the opportunity to look at this story in hindsight. We get to know what the end is. We get to know what happens. And so this story for me brings so much hope and so much excitement. Really, it reinforces this belief that we as Christians hold that anybody can change no matter what your situation is, no matter how old you are, no matter how deeply rooted this sin, this insecurity, this insufficiency is, you can change. And scientifically, we even know that. Scientifically, we know that the only thing that doesn't change is something that is dead. Dead doesn't change. And so it's reassuring because the fact that you're sitting here in this room and you have breath inside your lungs and your heart is beating means that there is hope for you to change and it's as simple as that. In verse 6, we find Jesus walking past this man and, and he notices him and the Bible says Jesus can tell that he has been there for a long time and as Jesus approaches him he asks him what I believe is one of the most interesting questions whenever Jesus asks a question tune into it he's Jesus he knows the answer to every question so he's asking it for a reason but Jesus asked this guy a question and he asked this man do you want to be made well and when I read this, I go, Jesus, are you crazy? Never in a million years would I ask this guy that question. He's clearly been here for 38 years. Jesus, you, you affirmed that. You could tell this guy's been here a really long time. He's been dealing with some of the same things for a really long time. He's literally laying on a mat, unable to do anything else. He's clearly here at this pool because he needs healing and he needs change. Yet Jesus asks him this question, do you want to be made well? And it's interesting, Jesus asked such an obvious question, but look at this man's reply. Verse 7, he says, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. While I am coming, another man steps down before me. So if I'm Jesus, I just asked this guy probably one of the most baseline, easy questions. It's kind of like home run. I'm, this is a soft toss, buddy. I'm going to ask you one of the most easy questions of your life. And this guy doesn't even have the nerve to answer the question or respond. He gives Jesus an excuse. So if I'm Jesus, I just invited this guy to have one of the most incredible, amazing gifts. I, can, I have the power to heal this guy. And he responds to me and says, sir, I just, I want to, but I have nobody that can put me into the pool. And when I try to get down there, another person jumps in front of me. It's just not really working for me. If I'm Jesus, I go, eh, wrong answer, buddy. That is the wrong answer. Then I go on to look at the rest of the pool. It says that there's a multitude of people there. I'm going to be looking for the person with more passion, more excitement, more enthusiasm. I'm going to put this in scriptures. So can anybody shed some tears? Can anybody give me some theatrics, 
some passion, anybody more desperate than this guy? Anybody? Show of hands, show of hands. I'm going to be looking for somebody that gives me a better answer than this guy. It's if I'm Jesus, which be glad I'm not. Why the hesitation from this guy, though? Why the excuses? It's interesting, isn't it? Yet if I think for a moment, I try to empathize with this guy's situation, what are the repercussions of being healed for this guy? He's literally been here, bedridden in this community for 38 years. He has no other home, no other sense of community other than the people that are lying around him. He has no other skills. He doesn't have a job. This man, this is his identity. Think about what might be going through his head. In a lot of ways, he's probably used to his deficiencies. He's probably used to his weaknesses. He's probably used to the fact that he hasn't been able to change. Used to his problems. And I think if you and I are really honest, we've been there a couple times in our life. Just get so used to some of the things that we've been struggling with for so long that we kind of just cope with it. It kind of becomes us. I'm just an angry person. I'm just short-tempered. I'm just sarcastic. I'm just a lazy person. I'm just overweight. I've just always been this way, so this is kind of who, who I am. This is where this guy is. Yet Jesus' response is so remarkable. Look at what he says in verse 8. Jesus said to him, rise, take your bed, and walk. This to me is one of the most crazy dialogues, crazy back and forth. Jesus asked this man a very simple question. Do you want to be healed? This guy can't even answer the question. He gives an excuse. And notice, he doesn't even acknowledge that who he is talking to is Jesus. He has no idea. He calls Jesus, sir. So there's no honor. There's no reverence of that he's talking to the savior of the world. He's oblivious. Yet Jesus heals him. Jesus forgives him. Jesus changes him. And it's interesting because as I was studying, I could really see myself in this whole situation. When I read this dialogue, I'm, I'm kind of in shock. I'm like, this is crazy dialogue, crazy dialogue. Jesus turns around and heals this guy after he hasn't done anything right. He doesn't even answer the question that he's been asked. Yet Jesus turns around and he heals him. I can see myself in this situation, though. I can look at the long list of things that I've struggled with for a really long time, and I've used a lot of things in my life to help motivate me as catalysts for change. I've done a ton of things to help me lose weight. I've done a ton of things to help me with any of my other issues that I struggle with. And if I'm perfectly honest, when those fail me, my motivations fail me, I can say the same exact thing to Jesus. Jesus, I tried to change this about myself. I, I did this and I did this. And honestly, I don't know what else to do. If we're honest, I think a lot of us have been in a very similar situation where Jesus, we've tried a lot of things, and honestly, I'm tired, and I'm out of solutions. I don't know what else to do. Because really, from our standards, this guy does this, and he does everything wrong. Doesn't answer the question, doesn't acknowledge that it's Jesus. Yet, through this healing, Jesus was doing something far more miraculous than touching this man's physical body. Jesus was sending this man a message. Jesus asked him, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be made well? He already knew the answer. He's Jesus, remember? He asked the question to expose something that was going on in this guy's mind. He ex exposed this guy's thinking. Do you want to be healed? And I could just 
envision the man saying, sir, of course I want to be healed. I've been here a really long time. I've, I've tried everything that I can. And, and really, it's, it's fairly simple. There's a process here. we got a system. There's a way that we get healed around here. And I just, i, I got to get into the pool, but I can't seem to get into the pool when I need to. When I'm trying to, another person comes in. And it's really easy. I've seen, Jesus, I've seen some of my friends get healed. I know that it works, but it just hasn't quite happened for me yet. It just quite, hasn't quite happened. Jesus is exposing this man's thinking. The guy's thinking, one day it will. One day I'll change. One day. And I could just see Jesus looking at this man riddled with fear, stuck in his position, with unconditional eyes, looking down to him. And he says, be healed. Be healed. This man has absolutely no idea What's taking place? I could just envision him responding, Jesus, sir, this is not that easy. You see, I, and something took place right in that moment. The Bible says that immediately he was healed. I don't know if, if it was just the authority that was in Jesus' voice when he spoke it to be healed, be made well. I don't know if something miraculous was taking place inside of him and this guy's like, holy cow, I am being changed. Something's going on. I don't know if muscles began to regrow. Things began to happen in his physical body. But one thing is true. This man has been miraculously changed and he instantly knows it. He instantly knows it. Can you imagine what went through his head? Remember, he's been here for 38 years. This is just who he is. No job, no outside community. Can you imagine the tidal wave of emotions with the fear and the excitement that come over this guy? He's just been miraculously set free. Why? Because one encounter with Jesus, everything changed. For the first time, he's thinking thoughts like, oh my gosh, I get to get a job, and can I even get a job, and can I contribute to my society, and, and I'm going to have to make friends outside of this pool, and I'm going to have to use my skills. Do I even have any skills? I've been laying here for 38 years. Can you imagine what was going through his head? Everything changed because of one encounter with Jesus, and it's interesting because somewhere along the lines in our lives, Many of us have experienced this, but we disconnect the grace of God with our ability to change. For many of us, the grace of God was used for our salvation, to provide salvation for us. And then after that, we kind of set it aside and say, thanks, Lord, for saving me, but I have it from here. I can take it from here. I got myself into this. It's only right if I get myself out. I'll clean it up, I promise. And by, by, by the way, there's probably some things that I've done that you don't want to see anyway. Jesus, I got it from here. And if we're perfectly honest, many of us have disassociated Jesus, an encounter with Christ, with our ability to have lasting change. And Jesus is saying, guys, I'm the only way for lasting change. I am the only way for you to get the change that you want to experience in your life. Listen, look at this. In Titus 2, in chapter 11, it portrays the grace of God so beautifully. 
It says this, for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people. Notice that it doesn't stop there. It says training us to renounce ungodliness, worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives when? In this present age. Notice that the grace of God for me, the grace of God for you is far more than salvation. Many of us have prayed a prayer that says, Jesus, I want to follow you. I acknowledge that you say who you say you are. I acknowledge that you are the Messiah. You are my Savior. I put my faith, my hope, and my trust in you. But now I got it from here, and I'll work on cleaning myself up, and I'll try to start good, better habits for 2016, and I'll get my New Year's resolution list, and I'll fix myself this year, God. I promise I'm going to fix myself. You watch. I'm going to fix myself. And if you notice, the grace of God is there to train us. It trains us to renounce ungodliness. It trains us to renounce worldly passions. It trains us to live self-controlled, godly lifestyles today in this present age. That's what the grace of God does. And you know what's interesting? If this man did everything wrong in this situation, he did one thing that was right. He did one thing that was right. He got to the pool. He got there. He didn't let his issues, he didn't let his problems stop him from getting to a place where he could encounter Jesus. You see, the, the power for this man wasn't found in the pool. Jesus proved that. You see, this pool was merely a place where this man could go. He could acknowledge his weakness in the company of many other people that were in the same exact situation as him. This pool was merely a, a, a grounds to encounter Christ. That's all that this pool was, but he got there. And I wonder, Red Rocks Church, what if we made 2016 the year that we as a church community, we get to the pool? What if we as a church community made this the year that we get in the way to encounter God? What would that look like? What would our lives look like? It's interesting because the pool for us today is just this place that we acknowledge our sin. It's acknowledge our our pain. It's where we acknowledge our brokenness. It's where we acknowledge our insufficiencies. We're not good enough. It's a place for us where we can find community, just like this guy, with other broken people. It's a place that looks a lot like this church. A place where broken and hurting people can come and encounter Jesus my cry for 2016 that we get to the pool that we get to the place where we can encounter Jesus not once but over and over and over and one of my most favorite passages in all the scripture is found in the book of Hebrews in chapter 12 and the writer of this book is addressing the Hebrew church and he's really giving them a charge to change he's really giving them a charge for godliness he's really giving them a charge to live the life that Jesus died so that we could have and it says this in Hebrews 12 verse 1 it says therefore since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Notice the language that Paul uses. 
It almost sounds so casual. It's like he's, it would be like me addressing you saying, guys, let's just stop sinning. Let's lay aside all of our weight and let's run with endurance the rest of our lives in godliness. How about it? When I read this, if I'm honest, I get a sarcastic voice in the back of my head that says, great idea, Paul. Why didn't we think of that? There's thousands of us at Red Rocks Church. Why didn't we think of that? Why don't we just lay aside our sin? Why don't we just lay aside the weight that burdens us? Why don't we just run with endurance the rest of our lives, the race that's been put before us? Oh, what a great revelation. It's that easy. Why don't we just do that this year? But it's not until you read the next verse that everything comes to light. He really gives us the catalyst and the motivation to live this way. Notice in verse two, it's the first three words that are our motivation. Red Rocks Church, it says, looking to Jesus. Why? Because he's the founder, he's the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and he's now seated at the right hand of the throne. Red Rocks Church, what would it look like if we looked to Jesus as the source for our change? What would it look like if we looked to Jesus as the source for our godliness, as we looked to Jesus for the source and the training to, to move in the direction that he wants us to move in? All of the things that our soul longs for is found in encountering Christ. And the beautiful thing about encountering Christ is that he's inexhaustive. And we can encounter him over and over and over and over and over and over. And that's what makes pursuing Jesus so fun. What would happen if we as a church truly grasp the blessing of encountering Jesus? What if we truly understood that life change comes from an encounter with him? We would abandon everything. We would abandon everything that we have to get to the pool. We would abandon everything that we have to get to that place where we can encounter Jesus because that's where our lasting change is experienced. If we really understood the value, the gift, and the fruit that would come from being in his presence. Galatians 5.22 gives us an overview of what happens, what really takes place when we get impacted by an encounter with Christ, what happens when we're in his presence, what happens when we're impacted by the Spirit. And it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, it's peace, it's patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Everything that we're searching for, I promise you that if you took the items that are on your New Year's resolution list, at the heart of every single one of those desires, all of these are at the root. Everything that we are dying for, everything that we are craving in this day and age is found in encountering Christ. Red Rocks Church, everything that our souls long for. Can we make 2016 the year that we get to the pool. And the pool for us isn't a physical location. The pool for us is simply getting to a place where we can encounter Christ. And it's interesting because I work with a lot of people that have forgotten what we call our Christian disciplines, praying and reading of the word. And we've kind of lost the motivation to do those because we've lost sight of what it's all about. You see, Red Rocks, these practices, praying, worshiping, the reading of the word, they're simply 
objects to allow us to interact with God, to allow us to interact with Jesus Christ, to have an encounter that will produce lasting change in our lives. If we knew that that was the outcome when we approached his presence, when we approached prayer, when we approached the reading of the word, when we approached the worship together as a family, what if we approached it knowing that this was nothing more than us getting to the pool, getting to the place where we can encounter Jesus? What if we approached it that way in 2016? everything would change everything would change and so I feel right now in my heart that there's really two types of people here today there's some of you that have had an encounter with Jesus you would say Jesus is your Lord and Savior you've had that personal connection that personal encounter with Jesus but it's been a long time since you've encountered him again for some of you, you saw the grace of God merely for salvation and not necessarily as something that would sustain you to live the life that you want to live. Some of you are in here just craving. You're stagnant. You're stuck. You feel like you've been laying in a mat for 38 years, craving an encounter with Jesus, something that's real and something that is lasting. Some of you would say, man, that is me. Oh, it's been so long. It's been so long. That's why David prayed the prayer, Lord, return to me the joy of my salvation. Return to me those first feelings. Return to me that encounter of your spirit. Return that to me. And there's a second group of people in here. Some of you are encountering Jesus right now for the first time. And it's a real encounter. You can feel him going off inside your heart. You can feel things you've never felt before. You can feel a sense of excitement and life, something that you've never felt before in your entire life. And this is encounter number one, one of many. And the Bible says this, that there is no way to the Father, no way to heaven, but through Jesus Christ and professing him as Lord and Savior of your life. And so I know that there's some of you that you've never done that before. And so I wanna offer the greatest invitation you'll ever receive, and that's an invitation to bow to the knee of Jesus. So I just wanna ask some of you today, would you please, everybody at, at all of our location, would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And I just wanna pray. For that first group, Lord, I just pray that 2016 would be a year to remember for many of these people. God, this would be a year where many of my friends and family members would get to the place where they can get to the pool, where they can get to that place where they can encounter you. And God, the joy of following you is that you're inexhaustible. Your pleasures are forevermore. And so God, we can approach you time and time again and encounter you over and over and over and over and over until our days are done. And then we get to spend all of eternity doing it all over again. Lord, you're inexhaustible, I just pray would 2016 be a marking year for these people? And Lord, I also wanna pray for everybody in here that has never made that commitment to follow you. God, some of these people have been lost. They felt like they've been lying on this mat for decades, just waiting and trying to figure out how they change, how they change the way that they want to change, the way that they need to change, how they fill the void and the emptiness. And Lord, we know that you are the answer. And so God, right now with every head bowed and every eye closed, God, I just pray that you would move upon these people's hearts even now. And right now, I want to invite some of you. If you 
want to invite Jesus into your heart to be the Lord and Savior, to rule and to reign in your heart. It's really easy. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is who he says he is, that he's your Savior, that he gave his life for you, that he rose again, and that he is the Son of God, you can be saved. That not only means forgiveness of sins now, but that means heaven forever. That means enjoying the fellowship of the community of these people that are sitting next to you. If you're feeling that, I just want to invite you to just raise your hand right now. If that's you, you want to make that decision, you want to make that commitment today, would you just raise your hand? Raising your hand is nothing more than just a a sign of surrender. It's nothing more than an act of faith saying, Jesus, I respond to this right now. I acknowledge that you are who you say that you are. Raise your hands. Amen. With every head bowed, let's just pray. Lord, why does I come before you? Jesus, I just thank you for these people that made one of the most significant commitments, one of the most significant decisions that they will ever make in their entire life, the most pivotal, life-changing remembrance of who you are. God, people today are making a decision to follow you. They are making a decision to receive this free gift of salvation. And God, tonight we celebrate that. We love you, Lord. God, I just pray over these next brief moments where we approach worshiping you with worship in the form of music. Jesus, I just pray, Lord, that you would impact us in a fresh and a new way. Jesus, we want to encounter you. Let 2016 be a marking year where we as a church body, we just get to the pool. Get to that place where we can encounter you. Lord, we love you, we praise you, we celebrate you for the incredible, life-changing work that you're doing in our hearts right this moment. And in Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. Red Rocks Church at all of our locations, would you just stand and we're going to worship Jesus.